something a little different this morning. Uh, instead of taking up our offering right now, which is what we normally do, uh, we're going to kind of have an extended offering time uh, a bit later. And so this morning, what we're going to do is have a quick uh, introduction to our sermon. And uh, I want to share with you um, some opportunities that you're going to have a little bit later on during our offering time and during our uh, contemplative, interactive time uh, to interact with our sermon this morning. Um, I don't know if you got my email. Hopefully you got the email that went out this week. Um, and I hope you all brought your cell phones. In fact, how many of you brought your cell phones in with you like I asked this morning. Did you? Wonderful. If you don't, then get it out, turn it on, because uh, we live in the 21st century and we're going to have a a little bit of a um, technology kind of interaction. Uh, For those of you who didn't bring your cell phone, don't worry. Uh, Dennis should have, and I think he did, got you a sheet of paper, and uh, that will be the old school way of getting feedback uh, to me. Uh, So uh, this morning, I want to begin uh, by a sermon introduction. We have been in a series uh, and we are on seven, uh, part seven this morning of our series, Growth God's Way. And we have been examining the question, uh, starting in the book of Acts and going throughout the New Testament, uh, but really focusing in the book of Acts. And we've been asking the question, what are some of the marks of a healthy church? Uh, what are some of the things that a healthy, growing, uh, maturing, uh, God-glorifying church, what are some of the marks of a church like that? Uh, what are some of the things churches like that avoid? And this morning, we're going to see in part seven of Growth God's Way that churches that experience growth in God's way expose idols, expose idols. And so if you're taking notes, part seven, exposing idols. Um, uh, by way of introduction, uh, many of you, uh, probably most of us, if we pay any attention at, at all to the things that are happening in our world, if you happen to watch the local or national news anytime or have happened to, to see it anytime in the past two weeks, um, you probably know, like I do, uh, at least to some degree, that there are major things happening, in particular in the Arab world, in particular in the Middle Eastern uh, parts of our world. Uh, there have been, as you have probably seen uh, on the TV or radio or newspaper, um, uprisings. There have been riots, protests, those kind of things. This is uh, just uh, one of the images from the protests uh, that have been happening in Egypt. And uh, if you've been paying attention, uh, it started in Egypt. These pro-democracy uh, kind of uprisings were large amounts of people, uh, riots, if you will, uh, protests, uh, sometimes turn, turning into riots, have have gathered uh, together. And I don't know if you've seen any of these images on the news, but it's startling. Uh, It's pretty amazing to see that kind of a turnout, that kind of a mass of humanity coming together with great passion and fervor uh, for the purpose in which uh, they intend. Um, And so this has been on our minds as of late. It started in Egypt and has spread to different uh, countries around the world. Um, And and I don't know if you heard about this, uh, but uh, what initially began, at least for uh, reporters and American reporters specifically, as as kind of a safe place to be um, in the last probably week to week and a half, but in particular the last week, um, it's, been, uh, it's been revealed, I guess for lack of a better word, that it's not really the safest place to be. How many of you heard of, uh, I guess the, 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 the oldest report was of Anderson's, Anderson Cooper of CNN. Anyone heard about him? Anderson Cooper works for CNN. He's a reporter and he goes on site to a lot of different places. About a week ago, um, he and his camera crew got attacked essentially by this uh, mob of protesters, if you will, uh, that kind of turned into a riot. Uh, to hear him tell the story, I'll summarize it for you. They were kind of walking the line, if you will, between pro-presidential supporters and anti-presidential supporters at that time in Cairo, I believe it was, certainly in Egypt. And as they made their way, the mob uh, turned violent and it turned against them. And I'd like to show, there's, this is a, the only picture that I could find. Uh, there is some footage of him running through the crowd, but this is a picture of... Uh, Anderson Cooper, right before, I think, this uh, protest turned into a bit of a violent mob that turned against he and his reporters. He's quoted as saying that um, we just ducked our heads and ducked our camera and ran, actually walked briskly away the best we could, and I was hit at least 10 times uh, in the head. Uh, Most recently, in fact, two reporters in this past week, I think the next, uh, go ahead and flip to the next slide. I think the next one is a lady by the name of of Laura Logan. Any of you hear about this reporter, Laura Logan? Uh, It's 
it's even worse. She uh, works for CBS, and she was covering, I think at that time, what was a celebration of the president's, uh, of Egypt's resignation. It was a kind of a celebration event and party, and, and to be... Uh, I guess, short with it, uh, a group of, of thugs, I guess, uh, came out of the crowd, uh, both sexually and physically abused her, and she was found, I think if, if I'm right, by a, a group of uh, police officers and maybe a few other people found this happening to her and kind of rescued her, and she actually went to the hospital uh, because of uh, the assault uh, that happened to her. And just recently, literally, like two or three days ago, let's flip to this next guy, uh, an ABC reporter by the name of Miguel Marquez any of you hear of Miguel Marquez and what happened to him? Very similar uh, kind of a thing. In his, in his words, they were attacked by a, a gang of thugs. Uh, this was not in Cairo. It was in Bahrain. Um, but a, a similar kind of deal. He was covering uh, what was a pro-democracy protest in the, the, the raucous, riotous crowd uh, that was gathered, then turned against these reporters. We can move on from the images. The reason that I bring these images up is uh, a couple, uh, twofold. Um, one, these kind of images, I don't think we're very used to. Um, to have a mental picture in our minds of a large gathering of people that are very uh, passionate, that are very uh, uproarious, if you will, uh, that are very uh, concerned and full of uh, anger and rage and passion. This kind of a setting, this kind of a volatile setting, I don't know if you've ever been, in that kind of a setting before. I know I certainly have it, have not. It's, it's kind of foreign to our experience, but it's not foreign to many other people's experience in the world, which gets to the second point of why I'm bringing it up, because it's not foreign to the experience of the followers of Christ in the book of Acts. <clears throat> this morning, we're going to be in Acts 19, and so if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Acts 19 as I grab my Bible, which I left on the pew. And uh, we're going to hear a story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. And it's going to be very, very similar to the images and the stories of what we have uh, heard about this morning. Uh, it's, it's very foreign to us, this kind of an image, but it wasn't so foreign to Paul. And it wasn't so foreign to his companions. In fact, the story that we're going to read in Acts 19, Paul and his traveling buddies, his band of missionary brothers, if you will, were in the city of Ephesus. And we're going to hear what to me is just a fascinating account of what went down in that city, of Paul's preaching of the gospel and the transformation, as I catch my Bible, and the transformation of the believers' lives and how it led to that kind of a scenario, to a, almost a, a, literally a riot kind of a scenario. Because essentially what happened is that these guys who were following Paul, Paul's missionaries, bu uh, missionary buddies, got caught up much like these reporters, in what was a riot, in what was a crowd of, of people. And this crowd was brought about by a silversmith, if you will, a guy who essentially made idols. He made idols in the city of Ephesus, and he made idols uh, uh, or kind of trinkets that looked like the idol of the goddess Artemis. And to make a long story short, we're going to read it here in a second, he basically got the crowd and literally the city in an uproar against Paul and against his two companions. And what this riotous mob did is they found Paul's two companions, probably because they couldn't find him, and they literally uh, kind of drug his two companions into what was the theater of the day. It was like a, a, an arena, a very a large arena. In fact, uh, some say that it could seat up to 25,000 people. That's like twice of a that's like two times assembly hall. And what we're going to read is that these two guys, much like the reporters, were just drug into this arena because of their association with Paul. Because Paul was preaching the gospel in Ephesus and because people were turning to Jesus in Ephesus and they were so changing the course of their life, they were so putting aside the idols of the community, the idols of their heart, the, the idol of the city of Ephesus, so much so that it was affecting the local economy. So much so that the people who made these idols or the trinkets of these idols were about to go out of business and they didn't like it. So let's read this account this morning uh, by way of an introduction and uh, then we'll have our interaction time after I pose a couple questions for you guys. So let's read together Acts chapter 19 and we're going to start in verses 
23 through the rest of the chapter. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, which is what Christianity was called. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are, no, are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she, uh, she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city, so the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. And I love this part. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were, friends, uh, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him uh, to, to not venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some humor from Luke there. Uh, Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, mentioning with his hand, uh, uh, motioning, excuse me, with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! For two hours. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is is there who does not know that the city of of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Most likely a reference to um, a comet or a meteor that fell uh, that they thought looked like their goddess. Uh, Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet. And do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen will have, uh, excuse me, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we, are, uh, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. We have the reading of God's word. And so I hope you see the similarities of our story in Acts 19 and the situation that we've been seeing. Um, and so by way of introduction, by way of uh, consider this an appetizer, for what will be the main course of our sermon here in a few seconds after we have our offering time, I w- really want to pose to you guys a couple questions. And so this is where um, the interaction uh, takes place. And so there are a couple ways that you can interact with this question, these two questions really. One is your phone, and I'll tell you about that uh, in a little bit. The other is just a piece of paper. And so if you have a pen or a pencil, I'd really like uh, your feedback here on this question. So the first question which is really uh, not the one I want you to to address. Uh, The first question that I think this text brings to mind is this. What is an idol? What is an idol? Now, obviously, in that time and in that day and in this story, uh, the particular idol, the god, if you will, the idol of the city of Ephesus was, as you heard a couple times, uh, the goddess Artemis. We're going to talk a little, bit, a little bit more in a second about who she was and what she represented, but there was a physical object, Artemis, and a physical temple in which she was located, in which people would literally physically go and worship this idol of the city of Ephesus. But I want to ask the question, 
But does an idol necessarily have to be something physical? Does it have to be something tangible? Does it have to be something that uh, is, is an image that represents something that, as in those days, uh, people would bow down to and worship? And I would suggest to you um, that no, uh, it's not the case. Good, someone's phone's getting ready. Love, love it, love it. Um, and I would suggest to you no. Really, at the, at the heart of things, uh, an idol is this. An idol is anything that is chief or foremost in our affections, or our pursuits, that is not God. Let me repeat that. An idol really is anything that is chief in our affections, that is we long for it and we need it with our heart, or our pursuits, it's demonstrated in the way that we live our life, what we're living for, anything that's chief in our affections or our pursuits other than God. Uh, One good way uh, to tell, uh, to identify an idol in my life and in your life uh, uh, is is this, and I get this from Tim Keller. He writes extensively on idols. Uh, In fact, I have a book if you're interested in it. But he says this. He says, if you want to identify the idols in your life, it's however you fill in the blank to this question. And so I want you to do this, not out loud, (laughs) unless you want to share your idol with people, but but in 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 your mind. An idol is anything that if this was taken away, if this blank was taken away from my life, I would feel like I have no purpose. If this was taken away, then I would feel depressed, dejected, and I would want to throw myself off a bridge. That is an idol. If we pursue and love anything that much so that if it's gone, it's not just a good thing in life. It's not just a good thing. It's an ultimate thing. It's an idol thing. And so we're going to talk about that later. What is an idol? That's what I would rec- suggest that it is. And in this town, it was uh, the idol Artemis, which represented um, fertility initially, but it, it, it kind of became what was the goddess of money. It was the goddess of prosperity, is what the idol Artemis represented. So in this city, it was, you could say, the idol of, of success, of money, of prosperity. Um, second question, this is the one that I really want you to interact with. And so here's a couple ways that we can do it. You may want to write my phone number down. Some, some of you have my phone number, uh, 815, if you want to use your text, here it is, 815-993-4545. 993 So the way this is going to hopefully work is we're going to have an extended offering time, an extended reflection time, and I want you to engage in this question. What are the idols in your community? That's the question. What are the idols in your community? It may be here in Cisna Park, it may be in Buckley, it may be in Paxton, wherever it is that you live. What are the idols of the community in which you live in. The reason why this is a real significant question is because most of the time, the idols of the community in which we live become the idols of our hearts. Most of the time, the idols that others worship become the idols that battle in the hearts of the Christian for our affections, for our allegiance, for our pursuits. So what is, what are the idols in our community? And the second part of that question is, why? Why? And so if you can do that in a text, that would be great. If you want to write it down on the sheet of paper that I gave to you, what I would like for you to do then is when we take up our offering, I'm going to give you guys a, a, bit, of a, a bit of time. We're going to play a video, and I want you to think and to pray and consider this. And when that video is done, then I'm going to get, ask the ushers to come and to take our offering like normal. And if you have a written response, just drop it in the plate. And then Dennis and Gary... Uh, will bring those up to me. And so that's the question I want you to ponder. What are the idols in our community and why? So what we're going to do is we're going to play this video, uh, give you time to respond to that. I'll be checking out the texts and hopefully sharing some of the answers. And uh, when the video is done, uh, our ushers will come forward and take our offering, and we'll get into the main course of this sermon. Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not 
At this point, our ushers are going to take our offering, and so if you have a written response, feel free to drop it in the plate. If you're still working on your text, uh, go ahead. I think I've got four in my inbox, so keep texting, and uh, when we're done with that, we'll get, our, get to our main course. Thanks, guys.
Check one, check two. Ah, beautiful. It's amazing what happens when you turn things on, you know. Um, so basically, this is what we're going to do for the rest of our time. Uh, I want to ask the text this morning a couple questions, and then I think the text is going to give us a couple answers. And so if you're into uh, structure and that sort of thing, here's where we're going. The first question that I want to ask from this text is this question. How do we as a church, as uh, believers in Jesus Christ, how do we expose idols in our community? How do we go about exposing the idols in our community for what they are? Um, idols, not gods. How do we do that? How did the early church do that? We're going to get an answer uh, in verses 23 through 26, I think are going to answer that for us. The second question is this, what happens when we expose idols in our community? So how do we expose idols in our community? And then when we do, what happens? Uh, What happens when we expose idols in our community? Guys, you have those ready? Come on, thanks. As Dennis uh, runs those up, I want you to turn with me back into our text, and we're going to look at verses 23 through 26. Thank you, Dennis, very much. Appreciate that. We're going to look at verses 23 through 26 again, because I think it gives us our answer. It gives us the answer to the question, how are we to expose idols in our community? I'm going to read verses 23 through 26 again. 23 through 26. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. So notice, uh, this is the author's way of saying it was a big disturbance. There was quite a commotion caused by the church in the city of Ephesus. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. That's his way of saying that they were, maybe not filthy rich, but they sold a lot of trinkets. They sold a lot of idols. This was their income. Notice, there he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said to them, most likely he was like the president of the trade guild. Uh, There were all sorts of guilds back in those days like there are today, and he was probably kind of the president. So he calls together all of the union workers, I suppose, everyone involved in the idol-making business. And this is what he says to them. Focus here. It gives us the answer to our question. Men, You know that from this business we have our wealth, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded, notice that word, has persuaded and turned away, notice that word, and turned away a great many people. And so Paul persuaded people, he turned them away, that is, from the worship of the idol Artemis, turned them away from their business, And this is how he did it. This is what he said, saying that gods made with hands are not gods at all. And so what we have, and this is our answer to the first question, how do we expose idols in our community like Paul and his associates and the the believers, the brand new Christians in the city of Ephesus? How How do we go about exposing these idols? And the answer that I would pose is this. If we want to go about exposing idols in our community for what they are, we first must turn from those idols ourselves. Do you see that in the text? We first must turn from them ourselves. How did this commotion begin? Well, it began when Paul, and we have uh, more stories in the earlier part of this chapter of Paul going and preaching the gospel and people turning uh, from their idols. In fact, earlier uh, in chapter 19, you get an amazing story of these people who were, if you want to you say they were in witchcraft or sorcery, and they became Christians. They placed their faith in Jesus. Jesus uh, took the place of the idols of their heart. And you get this wonderful story in Acts of how all of these former sorcerers who are now Christians, they decided to forsake their idols. And so they have this book burning party, and they take all of their spell books and they burn them in a big bonfire. They turned from the idols in their lives. And this is what Paul, I think, was doing. Notice, it's, he says that they were persuaded by Paul and they were turned away. That means they used to be involved in the worship of the idol Artemis. They used to go to her temple. They used to be involved, most likely, in the temple prostitution that happened there. They used to most likely buy the trinkets that these guys sold, either to take home as household idols to set on their shelves, or maybe as like a, you know, I went to the temple Artemis and this is my souvenir. That's what these guys would do. That's what these believers used to do. That's who they used to worship was the goddess Artemis, but no longer. They turned from the idols, and it created the ruckus. I I promised you a few pictures, and so uh, 
some in- interesting, I think, significant ta- uh, facts about the idol Artemis. Do we have, do we have those pictures? There we go. Uh, there she is. Uh, there is uh, a portrayal or an idol, if you will, of the goddess Artemis. Um, while this is a, a family uh, church, notice, uh, well, you'll notice what you notice. Uh, she was a goddess of fertility, and uh, you can see why. Uh, she was a, explain it to your kids when you get home. She was an, she was an idol, and uh, she, she, originally she was known as fertility in all sorts of different ways. But eventually, she kind of became known as the goddess of prosperity, the goddess of wealth. And so the idea was that if you bow down, if you participate in the worship of this goddess uh, of, of Artemis, who apparently fell from the sky... Um, you would get rich. You would maintain your business. You would maintain your prosperity. And you notice that's why, in part, or mostly, why these guys were even in such a commotion. Not only were sales going down because people were placing their faith in Jesus, and they weren't going to the temple. They weren't buying these trinkets anymore. Um, let's flip to the next picture, and you'll see uh, that those are the ruins of the Temple of Artemis in, in, in Ephesus. Um, you can see, I mean, quite a spectacular uh, thing. This is probably one person's rendition of what it might have looked like. So if you'll flip to the next one, I think we have, do we not? Okay, no, sorry. Um, I had one, but you can tell it's, it's, it's big. In fact, at that time, it was considered the seventh wonder of the world. It was like Disneyland. You would go there to see the splendor and the magnificence of this goddess and her temple. And so you can imagine, with all sorts of people traveling in to, to Ephesus, these guys... Man, I mean, they were banking money because they would sell trinkets and all sorts of stuff to facilitate the worship of this idol. And the point that I want us to see is that the idol for this city and for these guys in particular and for those who became Christians that they turned away from in this city was prosperity. They worshipped prosperity. They worshipped wealth. And so here uh, we get to the interactive point. Um, Let's take a look um, at what you guys said were some of the idols in our community. I have uh, a couple suggestions that I'm going to preach on here in a minute, but I want to hear from you guys. And so um, we'll start with our text, uh, and we'll see how many I can read or open up. I feel, uh, okay, here we are. Okay. I, feel like a less, I feel like a less than concrete idol is the idea of a busy life being proof of a good, purposeful life. Too many activities for the sake of doing something, but not really doing anything truly worthwhile for eternity. Excellent, thanks, appreciate that. Uh, Here we go. Uh, I feel like, okay, that's the same one. (laughs) Uh, Money or your business, uh, success, your kids' talents in sports, a house or a car. Activities uh, that are not associated with Jesus. Sports, lessons, etc., uh, why it's so easy to get caught up in every day and follow suit. Don't think of all, don't think all of it is wrong, but f- focus should be on him first, uh, not with the time left over. You're seeing a trend here, aren't we? Really good. Uh, alcohol. I have no idea why. <laughs> Thanks for the honesty. Uh, our school and its athletic teams. This could be community pride, not necessarily an idol. Okay, helpful insight. Um, idols in C and CP, maybe sports as a whole, and the pride our small our small town holds. Okay. Work because it fills time and gives purpose. Yep. Family and or spouse because it fills our need to be loved or to love and to be loved and connected. Excellent. Very insightful. <clears throat> sports, alcohol, family, food. Uh, clothes, things such as clothes, homes, and money. They're all really good. Uh, I believe that a main uh, a main idol is our community. In our community is money. People today are so worried about what other people will think of them if they are not in the circle of friends that they do uh, that they go to extremes to get there. Very good. Thanks. These are great, guys. Uh, the idols are sports. Family, uh, sports, money, and family. In that order, apparently. (laughs) Sports, family, and money. Money and family, excuse me. Sports teams. Uh, Status and information, i.e. gossip. That's an interesting one. Gossip can be an idol. Interesting. Very good. Oh, 
and now we're done. <laughs> I won't read you that text. <laughs> okay, those are really good. It's not bad or anything. Goodness gracious. I'll read it to you. Look. You guys, goodness. It says, yes. That's what it says. There we go. Okay. Uh, okay, we're going to keep going here. Um, okay. Uh, in general, basketball or families. Why? Uh, sports evidenced by, oh, fire engines. Yes, thank you. And large signs all around the town. Probably more decorations than even Christmas time. Okay. Uh, family. Evidenced by multi-million dollar community center with large sports pool and gym and complex. Man, I can't go there anymore. Darn it. <laughs> okay, that's really good. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, chief, okay, yeah, those are uh, sports and family. Sports and family. Both are so looked, uh, looked upon even in the CP newspaper covers, both extensively. Uh, we are a churchy community which puts much emphasis on family. And while these are wonderful things, they can become exclusive. Okay? Boy, this is going to be really good. Uh, My kids. Very good. Dreams or wants. uh, My husband and my family. Think I have the power to control their safety. Oh, don't we wish we could. As a young parent, I know. Sports and money. We'll see how many of these we can get through. So I'm going to apologize if we don't get to all of these. Because, you know, I've got a sermon to preach here. Uh, career, tangible success in a a college community. Too much emphasis is placed on graduating success, motivating students, and the value of students' life before graduation is devalued. Really interesting. Sports gives identity. Excellent. Sports. Sleeping Sleeping in instead of consistently coming to church. Okay? Okay. I'm going to stop, guys. There's still a lot of these, and I'm going to read them, but... So, do we see any trends, right? You see any trends here? Okay. Oh, what are they? Let's name them. Come on. Sports, money, what else? Family, what else? Success, what else? Business, okay. Excellent. Okay, so here's, here are the ones that, I've, that I've, I've thought of, and I guess they're in line here. Uh, the four that I thought of are family, career or business, standard of living, which could be like money, and sports. So, how did I do? Okay, <laughs> okay. So let's let's take a let's take a look at these things. So, if we are going to expose idols in our community, the first thing that we have to do as Christians is to turn from those idols ourselves. You see that? That's what they did in Ephesus. They turned from the idol Artemis, and it shook things up. It exposed the idol. So number one, uh, the idol of family. How can we identify personal idols, community idols, and then how can we identify the sacrifices that we make to them? Because here's the deal. Anything that we worship, we make sacrifices for. If I worship Jesus, I make sacrifices for him in my time, in my money, in my thoughts. Um, and, and anything that we worship, we inherently give things up to worship them. So, for instance, uh, <clears throat> family. If family is, is an idol in our hearts and our, in our community, uh, what does that look like? You guys really were spot on, I think, with a lot of these things. This is what I thought of. Uh, family can be an idol if, um, if you think that you are only satisfied or happy if your kids are satisfied or happy. If your kids do well in school, if they're good in sports, if they have social networks, if they're doing well, if your kids are happy and satisfied and they turn out well, uh, then maybe they are an idol in your life. Um, maybe the extended family can become an idol in your life in this way. You, you don't feel like you are yourself apart from your mom, your dad, your brothers, and your cousins. You don't feel like you are yourself. And let's say if that were to ever be taken from you, if your extended family, your mom and dad, let's say, were to move away from wherever it is that you live, um, would you feel like you were losing yourself? Because if so, maybe they're an idol. How do we sacrifice to the idol of family? I'm just going to give, for time's sake, a couple illustrations here. How do we sacrifice to the idol of family, for instance? Well, if we make our kids our idols, if we pour in our emotions, our affections, if they're our pr- uh, primary source of giving love and feeling loved, as someone said, if their success, uh, our happiness hinges upon their success or not, um, We give up things for that. We give up maybe a healthy relationship with your spouse. Because if your kids are your idols and they're your primary relationship, 
I guarantee you that your relationship with your spouse is going to suffer. Uh, what about maybe the idol of the extended family? What do we sacrifice to worship it? Well, um, among other things, I think we sacrifice opportunities to grow and develop significant relationships with people outside of your family. And so think, how many healthy, deep, meaningful relationships do you have with people that are outside of your extended family? And how much time do you spend with them? If it's very little or none, that possibly could be an idol for you. I've got a a ton of other ones. I'll I'll, I'll pick on this one. Uh, Maybe uh, career or business. Um, Money is what we said. If that's an idol, when our business um, does bad, when it's starting to collapse, when we have a bad year, not, is it, it's not just having a bad year, it's not just our business collapse, but collapsing, but it's, it's our whole life falling apart. I mean, it's your whole life. It's your happiness and your joy and your contentment. If that is the case, then maybe um, business or career or job is an idol. Maybe if you lose your job, maybe if you have to do something different, and I'll be honest here, if I had to do something different other than what I do here, it might be revealed that it's an idol because I don't want to do anything <laughs> other than what I do. And so I have, to watch, I have to watch that one. You know, we sacrifice to the idol and the God of career and business too, don't we? Um, we sacrifice significant times with our kids, uh, evenings playing ball or Barbie dolls if you have a girl, that you can never get back. You can never get that back. You maybe sacrifice time with your spouse so that when the, 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 the business is, is done, it's time to sell, it's time to retire, uh, and you're ready to hunker down and spend the rest of your life with your spouse. If business or your job is your idol, you may find out at that time that you don't have any idea who your spouse is because you haven't had a healthy relationship with them. You've been serving and worshiping this idol of business. That's just for example. And so I want to question you and me. These can be idols of our community, but most of the time the idols of our community are the idols that are in our hearts. And so I want to ask you, what's your idol? Because if we're going to expose the idols in our community and have something happen like in like in Ephesus, then we have to start with ourselves and we have to place the idol that may be on the throne of our heart. And we may have to set it aside and get back to Jesus being our primary worship and purpose. So that's the first question. The second question is this. Not only have we asked the question, what, how do we expose idols in our community? Are we doing that? We do that by turning from the idols ourselves. That's what the early Christians did. The second question is, what happens when we do that? What happens when we turn from the idols of our community and Jesus becomes again the center of our worship Uh, what happens? In verses 27 through 41, we're not going to read them all again, but in that account of the riot that went down and in the account of Demetrius telling what happened, I think we get a couple answers. What happens when we expose the idols in our community? Number one, we threaten those idols. That is, those idols are threatened. They're threatened. Number two, those that serve the idols still are threatened. So we turn. We expose the idols. We change our lives. We don't worship it anymore. What happens? That idol in the community is threatened. So let's take a look. Read with me verse 27. Verse 27. Again, we see this from Demetrius, and and notice what he does. He paints a picture to the other guildsmen of what it would look like, of what Ephesus would look like if this goddess, if this idol were not worshipped, if she were, were no longer preeminent, if she were no longer the thing that everyone lives for, he paints a picture for what that would look like if the idol was threatened. Verse 27, And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, and notice this, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all of Asia and the world worships. And so in that scenario, what would it look like if that idol of their community, the idol of worth and uh, of wealth and money and prosperity and success, what would happen if this idol was not worshipped? What if it was threatened? Well, very clearly, a couple things. He says, first of all, the temple uh, may be counted as nothing. That is, people may stop coming to the temple. People may not consider it significant. It may not be a source of city pride anymore. 
And then secondly, she's going to be deposed from all of her magnificence. That is, people are going to think that she's nothing. She's not going to be the ultimate thing. Money, wealth, success, it's not going to be the ultimate thing. It's just going to be a good thing. And so he paints a picture of what it looks like for the idol in the community to be threatened. And so here's the question I want to ask of us. What would it look like in our life and in your life and in the the life of our community in System Park and the surrounding towns? What would it look like if the idols of our communities were threatened? What would it look like? What would be different? To say it another way, what if these idols that we've been talking about of family and money and status and gossip and our businesses and our kids, what if they were just good things that God has given us? and not our gods. What would it look like? For, for instance, um, for instance, the idol of money, the idol of what I would call the, our standard of living, maybe, what if that were threatened in your life? What if, what if my standard of living was my idol and it was threatened? What would my, like, what would my life look like if I worshipped Jesus primarily instead of that? Well, it, a, a couple things, several things. Um, first of all, uh, I might not have the newest Apple product every time it comes out. I might not. <laughs> I might not choose to have to keep up with the electronic Joneses, uh, for instance. And I'm not hating. I'm not an Apple hater. I like Apple. But you, I might not have it. Um, Maybe uh, you would keep your car a little bit longer. You know, maybe instead of getting a new car every two or three years, maybe it would be every 10 years, possibly. Because you wouldn't have the idol of keeping up with the standard of everyone else hitting at you. That's no longer primary. So you can drive a bit of a clunker towards the end of its life, and it's okay, possibly. Um, you, not, you might not wear the latest fashion. You may be like one season out of the fashion ring. I'm like five seasons out of the fashion ring. <laughs> but this is a cool shirt. But uh, <laughs> it's in fashion. Yeah, thanks. Um, but, you know, maybe you're just not quite up. That, maybe that's what it looks like. But you know what? There are a lot of good things. There are a lot of good things if that particular idol is threatened. You might be financially flexible. Instead of spending money on the latest Apple or the newest clothes or having, the, having to have a new car, what you might find is that if, if an emergency happens, you have money and savings that you can handle it with. Um, not only that, you might have financial flexibility if there's a need that comes up in your family or the church family. There's a mission trip that might be happening to Guatemala. You might just find that you have financial flexibility to be able to do that. If the idol of money or the standard of living is threatened. And so what about you? Maybe in your mind you have uh, an idol that you're thinking, this man, I might be worshiping this. What would it look like if you turned from it? And what would it look like in your life if it was threatened? What would it look like? What would it look like in our community? What would be the effect? Secondly, and lastly, when we expose idols in our community, not only are the idols themselves threatened, and here's the kicker. This is the bad news, and I hate to end on it, but this is where the text goes. Those who still cling to those idols, you turn from that idol, you change your life, you don't worship it anymore. Those who do aren't going to like you. (laughs) They're not going to like you. They're going to feel threatened because you're turning from their object of worship and their purpose for living. Does that make sense? They will feel threatened. And don't we see this happening? I mean, this is what happened. The idol makers were like, man, we're going to run out of business. And not only that, but the great goddess, our great idol, She's going to be nothing. And what did they do? They weren't like, Paul, you need to stop it. I mean, let's go to Starbucks and have a friendly chat. And let me tell you why you should stop. No. They basically got a gang of 25,000 people. They couldn't find Paul, so they, they got uh, uh, average Joe A and B, his companions, and they're like, you know, Paul, come with us to a circus of a riot. And for two hours, they're worshiping their God. Aren't they? Did you catch that? I mean, it's amazing. They're so stirred up about the worship of their idol because these guys weren't worshiping it anymore. They're so stirred up that they're like, great is, the, is, uh, what is, it? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours? Okay, so the closest I've ever been to this kind of worship is this. And I'll make it short and sweet. Real sweet. In 2002... 
My Texas A&M fighting football Aggies defeated the number one ranked Oklahoma Sooners in Kyle Field. And I was there at the top of Kyle Field, which is above where the birds fly. And it was pandemonium. Uh, it was a huge victory. And for literally, I'm, I'm not an hour, maybe an hour and a half, as we funneled down those stands, and it took a long time to funnel down, all of, those wearing, uh, all of us wearing Aggie maroon, for some of us, uh, we worshipped the God of Aggie football as we sang our hymn and our fight song and our chants for an hour and a half as we went down. For some of us, uh, for some people, and maybe me in that moment, I don't know, that was us being in the arena chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's the closest I've ever been to something like this. But the point that I want to make is that people will be threatened if you forsake the community idols. Um, they'll be threatened. They're not going to like you. So are we going to be okay with that? I mean, these early Christians, um, they got drug into the arena and they got, uh, they got out of it, thankfully. So what would this look like? Are we going to be okay, for instance, taking the idol of sports? I'm not going to tell you this is what you should do, but it's a suggestion. What if, because we don't want to worship the idol of sports, um, what if we said, we're going to set limits on how many sports you can play, uh, child, A, B, or C. We're not going to let you go to this, that, or the other all of the time and miss obligations at school or at church or family obligations. Whatever it is, what if you set limits? What if, you, what, if, what if that's in your conscience, you say that's what we need to do to not worship the idol of sport? I guarantee you that the kid's coach is not going to like that. And I guarantee you if he or she is like the coaches that I've had, they might get benched. Like they may not play in the first quarter or the second quarter or the whole game if you're like my coach. I went to a family outing when I was a senior, and I said, this is more important, or really my parents said that. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I wanted to go play, uh, but my parents said, no, family reunion, we're going. So I missed a game in several practices, and guess what? I didn't play <laughs> the next game or two. I didn't like it, and you know what? If you do that, your kids may not like you. They may not like you. But you may be freeing them from an idol from the idol of sports. That's just a for instance. There are a million different scenarios, and I don't have time, unless you just really want to stay here all day, uh, to enumerate them. But what I want us to see is the big picture. Uh, Number one, we can expose idols in our community by turning from those idols ourselves. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Uh, Secondly, when we do that, we threaten the idol, and those who worship that idol may not like us, but it's going to be okay. So are we going to do that? I mean, think of this. The lives of the early Christians were so changed as they changed worship of their idol that the very economy of a great city like Ephesus was affected. The believers changed the economy of a town by their decisions and by their actions. I pray that as we consider our individual idols, our personal idols, our community idols, and whether we worship our community idols, may there be a riot in Cisna Park and the surrounding cities. Um, Maybe it's not a physical riot, maybe it's not like the pictures that we saw, but may there be an upheaval because we expose their idols and we worship Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for this very pertinent text.